This episode of Ars Cryptoctica is brought to you by Uptick Project, the NFT world in your hand. Uptick is a decentralized mobile app built on top of the Uptick protocol. Manage your NFT-based digital assets with a focus on entertainment, sports, and the creative industry. Whatever your need for NFTs, Uptick has you covered. Welcome back to the NFT podcast, Ars Cryptoctica. In this episode, we have a special guest coming back for round two, Vangeli Galekas, or Van, from NFT Freaks. Hey, Van, are you there? Man, I'm here. How you been doing, John? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, can't complain. Been busy. And it's good to be busy. I want to introduce a, a, a new word and concept into the NFT space today that I think encapsulates what you're constantly preaching in across many different you know angles uh and is right in line both with the importance of community and collaborative energy in the spaces uh what we're seeing this sort of phenomenon on twitter and this sort of background notion of the metaverse and that is microtopias and i want you to think about the possibilities for disseminating the concept of microtopia. And what, are, what is a microtopia? It is the perfect concept to pair with the metaverse in relation to the idea of community where how do we, how do we develop community-oriented movements and isms and, you know, like sort of art, alignments that are going to that are happening now and in, in a ridiculously exponential clip and that's coming out of like minds developing sub communities and those sub communities are you know coalescing so righteously that they're becoming microtopic not utopic right it, uh, in the sense that it's across the board uniformly you know, migrating into every space. No, it's unique to a particular band of individuals who are banding together intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually around, you know, like-minded ideals, microtopias. And I think that's going to become something that matters in the, in the Twitter space-based revolutionary spirits that are, that are gathering momentum together and it's happening a lot through your platform uh, and your space, your spaces on Twitter, the spaces like, you know, uh, altered motion spaces, uh, uh, Komachi spaces, AKA Chambo spaces, uh, you know, uh, Devin the Dude spaces, these spaces, uh, although there's some carryover from one to the other, I do see some, some, coalescing happening within the confines of individual spaces. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this term microtopia. Yeah. I mean, that's a great word. I haven't heard about it really too much, but you know, the microtopia amongst among the utopia, because there's like two different, you know, switches here. We all still have to share that, you know, uh, it's like police officers, right? You know, my analogies, it's like police officers. It's all the band of the brothers of the blue around the, everywhere you go, right? 
that's the entire utopia of things I would think would be the banding of the brothers in blue, right? They're all standing for the same cause across the whole world. But then the microtopia of those actual divisions at those counties and those cities and you know there's neighboring counties and there's neighboring police forces and then you have ambulances and firefighters who work with those police forces and so what happens is you do have that microtopia in a sense or what they say in startup land that niching out or that you know uh i always said that youtube was a very powerful platform but the fact that you're starting to get fishing tube and religion tube and trucker tube and car tube and outdoor tube it starts to funnel itself out of that junkyard of content and starts to just set itself up to say oh you were only looking for uh religious videos now we have a religion tube right and there's only religious videos there and i think what you're seeing here with these artists is you're seeing flavors and styles um like you said the authenticity of one and it's hit their self-propelled craft and you're finding that these people take a liking because they either can relate to their hustle or their story or their grind or the way they move and you find all these factions that are splintering out so that you can see the person from behind who they are kind of like you i mean we really don't get to see who you are until we get on these podcasts but it's just going to be a matter of time before we start hearing about your spaces and the way you drive it with your leadership and the people you're going to birth from that in your own microtopia that you're speaking about for me it's about allowing others to get that courage and that voice to understand that it's not you listening to me constantly and me running the show constantly. It's me having the power and the strength to get up and say, I'm Vangeli Galekas and I'm NFT freaks and here's what we're doing. And then people see that and they say, you know what? I'm AKA Chambo and here's what I'm doing. Oh, and I'm, you know, Devin the dude and here's what I'm doing. And I'm Tori Bryant and here's what I'm doing. That's exactly what we all need to be doing, right? Yeah, that's what we need to be doing for sure. And you know what? I've been listening to you. I dropped in, I think, every day this week that I saw you pop up. And I noticed this kind of underlying theme, which I love that you're, you're, you've brought it to bear. Um, I'm very interested. Let me just set the stage here. I'm very interested in, as you know, the somewhat academic, although not entirely, but art historical precedents leading to breakthroughs, leading to, uh, you know, the evolution of art. And, you know, one of the foundational principles in a group coming together is that that group is made, typically is made up of emerging artists. And when we say emerging artists, we can just as easily say emerging voices. Emerging voices tend to be solitary at the beginning as they're finding their voice. And as they develop their voice, they become capable of coalescing within a group and that group can become a choir of voices. And a choir of voices is interrelational and an interrelational group of voices is stronger than a single voice. And that's why art historically speaking, you always see this you know, coming together of, of voices into movements, strengthening by numbers. And the, I, I loved every angle that you brought up this week around the notion of 
of whether it was substance or it was authenticity or I mean, these words that came up in your spaces uh, are, are critical. And as we are somewhat uh, primary stewards of the space at the moment, I love that we're having this conversation today. I want to focus today uh, broadly. Now, certainly, I never like to pigeonhole anything, but I want to focus today on exploring the notion of what is artistic voice. Let's start there. And I'm, I want to ask you first, how do you feel about the difference between developing, in quote, end quote, developing versus finding, quote, end quote, your artistic voice? Which of those two sentiments speak more to you and why? I think you have to have a mixture of both. I think you have to have 50% of one and 50% of the other. Although as a human, I don't think we can decipher that we're either developing or we're um, learning, right? It's, it's all about, for me, you know, people always say, you're a great talker, you're this or that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm a great listener. I'm a great listener first to become a great talker. I'm a great understander first to become a great talker. I think developing your artistic style from your mind being silent to your hands, which because, you know, we don't talk when we make art usually, right? You may have some music on, you may have your favorite drink, but you're in a quiet zone or you're in your own zone verbally to where you're just mashing and, and doing and you're developing your artistic style and when you're developing your artistic style you can have bold colors you can have vibrant colors you can have haunting uh, uh paintings you can have lovely paintings you can strike emotion and feeling by being completely silent just using a canvas do you agree on that first i agree on that so so if i'm seeing somebody and they're violently throwing paint across and they're violently throwing and you see and you start to see a picture of a haunted soul you can tell it's an angry painting correct yes it makes me think of uh, uh, uh apple a-p-p-e-l the artist there are documentaries him on youtube he was famous for utilizing the palette knife up and he, he actually there was one video i saw where he was using a garden hand shovel and his, if you look in his work, he was considered one of like the primitivists or art brutists. And it, the, his figuration is just mangled. And, you know, it, it's sort of like mangled in the raw sense, not mangled in the de Kooning sort of strategic sense of how he built the woman series. And he would, there these videos of him sweating profusely in a tank top, just slashing shovelfuls of paint onto a canvas and going at it with a shovel. I mean, it's just, brutal and and, and 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 again there's a kind of authenticity that doesn't come across as technically proficient if you're if your idea of technical proficiency is you know exacting and strategic and meticulous and clean lines and you know field uh, you know mark in the field and figure ground relationships no that wasn't him at all he said you know his was the roar of the lion meeting the canvas and, and, and out of that came an ex, a historic body of work and authenticity and substance. So, so, so what I mean is, so, so we're in agreement, agreeance that that can happen. You can, you can be silent and you can show your authenticity or your feeling or your substance through just being completely quiet, developing that by just creating the art you create. Okay, cool. Now, 
finding that voice behind having the courage to explain the madness behind the chaos that just ensued that you just put on display for your audience who's seeing what you're saying happened. That's totally different. That's totally different for me to tell you what this means than for me to show you what it means. For instance, if my art was in a gallery afterwards and you were all, you know, bidding on this pain, on this enormous pain of me losing my brother and it's this black pain with a dark red hole and the dark red hole starts to, and it's my it's a picture of my soul in the incompletion and i'm silent and you look at it and people are wowing there's paparazzi there's everywhere but if i don't bring the voice to that substance where you hear that pain that's missing still how do you, you have to muster that courage up by still tackling your anxiety your shyness figuring out who it is you are i think in these spaces and even in this podcast it's easier because you do it with your voice versus if we all had to go somewhere and stand up on stage with our bodies it would be entirely different to find that authenticity in yourself so here on the internet when you see person a person b person c person d person e do it eventually you start to muster up the strength to become vocal about who it is you are and what it is you're doing and i think even the bidding process here even the completion of getting sold when you figure out that it's people sharing and talking it psychologically plays a game on you to say no 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 you have to get up and share no you have to get up and tell yourself and you have two choices in life you always have two choices you can either lie and be whoever anybody else wants you to be or you can be yourself and so i think for me this is just me when I do that, if I went to the rage painting that you were talking about and I was that artist and then I was able to discuss the rage behind it and then then there's no way that I have to articulate my words or think about what it is I'm coming to talk about. It's kind of like right now. I do this so much that if you said, hey, V, you know, you're late. We've been running 22 minutes. Hey, I'm coming in right now. I don't have to go get my coffee. I, don't even, I haven't done anything except for rolled out of my bed right here and started this conversation. But the difference <laughs> is, the difference is, is the authenticity is going to bleed through because I'm not changing who I am. The spaces you're hearing is me. My Twitter is me. My views are me. My opinions are me. Now, they can also be changed and challenged and introduced to other things. But that's, you know, society has made us feel like even in this conversation right now. And I know this happens in my spaces a lot me and you are speaking, we sound like two bright minds. And then there'll be somebody there who thinks that they're not allowed to enter. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's how society has positioned you into thinking that you can't have a credible voice, that you can't be authentic because you're not smart enough to talk this fast and hold a conversation and use big words. That's not what it's all about. It's all about adding your opinion and then adding your take, but then making sure that that right there is still the slice of the Henry pie or the slice of the John pie. It's not persuaded from your mother or your father or your son or your brother. It's your thoughts. It's your authenticity and it's your story. And I think that when you, and, and, and just to keep going on this, because I want to transfer it to the community, there's a disconnection happening when you chase trending art or trace trending sales and you know damn well it doesn't authenticate who you are. So the perception and view and the explanation of the entire package becomes disassembled because when we start to question, there's not that up in it. That should be there with you if you love to chase ghouls and goblins or if you love to chase 
pets or if you love to make abstract. I mean, there's so many different things. So for me, just to answer that question in one nutshell, you have to, as, 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 you know, there's artists out there who don't really think that their work's good enough. As much as you have to muster up your strength to showcase your work and be proud of it is as hard as you have to muster it up to speak about it. And together, together, that is what I consider the authentic Vangeli Galactus or the authentic Henry or John. It's who you are, what you're about. And I know about it because you haven't changed it. And, you know, food. When I go travel different places and you allow me to introduce me and I'm allowed to try that and say, man, that's really spicy. I don't really like that. I'm not used to it. It's not authentic to me. But then if I go to a fast food place where I've been eating fast food my whole life, it doesn't matter. The burger is going to be because it's an authentic part. of it. That's what I do. It's what I eat. That's who I am. So I think we can go so far into clothes, music thinking, talking, but it's all about not allowing people or society to persuade you into thinking that it has to be like this. It doesn't uh, have you, to be like that. You actually segued uh, perfectly into something I wanted to talk about here in the, in the next step. You said, you know, basically what you just summed up was detaching what they, what they call uh, detaching from the visual library. And that is detaching from your influences as part of the process of finding AK or discovering your, your, your authentic voice. Now, you, you've talked a little bit this week about chasing the trend. And you've talked a little bit about, you know, uh, the difference between your true voice and like a voice that is mimicking another voice. And there was there's a couple of uh, great quotes one by picasso he you know i love that he said that art is the lie that tells the truth another by t.s Eliot, you know two of the greatest artists of the 20th century he said good artists borrow and great artists steal and what he meant was that process of transitioning from uh, a voice steeped in a visual library that is not your own or a written library, a lexicon of language, a poetic vocabulary vernacular that belongs to another poet. And that or, or you know, this holds over for music or dance or anybody. We always talk about quoting, quoting in art, quoting in poetry, quoting in dance is not like, quote, unquote. It means that there's certainly a reverberation from the past, right? But a reverberation that's filtered through an authentic voice comes across as original or extending a dialogue in an original way. And, and so as I envision us speaking to young emerging artists, because this, this field in the NFT industry is full of people under the age of 40, um, it's, it's really healthy for us to talk about this. And so detaching from that visual library is a great first step. And then knowing the difference between what you want and need to say and what you're good at. And I want you to comment on that. What is the, the, the difference between what you want and need to say and what you're good at? I didn't come from no business background. I didn't have parents with business background. Everything that I learned, I had to learn on myself. 
So even when I found authenticity or even when I found grind, hustle, uh, determination, drive, perseverance, all that, nobody showed me those things. Nobody walked me down the street and said, hey, here's Yale or Harvard. I didn't, I didn't know those things. I had to figure them out. And I think that a lot of people, if you're not hunting source after source after source after source and becoming like a plug, you'll never really understand what that is. But when you get around people who finally have that, like you do, right? Or other people in our spaces. And there's so many I can't name right now, but there's so many conversations that I can have that start to become powerful just based off of the wisdom and the know-how. Now you say that you need to say or want to say, but how do you ever know what to say if you've never been taught about substance? Substance, when I say substance, Henry, I mean that you're, you're, tongue has power. I mean that you're able to say something that can make somebody take action, right? It's almost like problem solution, cause and effect, right? The substance carries to hit you and say, man, even those quotes you said uh, with Picasso, what was that quote real quick? Art is the lie that tells the truth. And T.S. Eliot said, "You good artists borrow and great artists steal. Okay. The first one, the first one with Picasso, right? Say it slow again. And just that one. Art is the lie. Art is the lie. That tells the truth. That tells the truth. Art is the lie that tells the truth. Art is the lie that tells the truth. When you start to play with people's brains like that, and you start to activate their riddledness, their wondering, their curiosity, I'm in firm belief that there are teachers, there are coaches, there are friends, there are spouses, there are people who allow you to get in there. But a lot of people are locked outside of that first, that curiosity in your words. You know, what I mean is people think you have to speak and be perfect, or you have to understand what you're talking about, or you have to understand big words and tell people, find that you're allowed to do that, Henry. I think there are a lot of people who are missing that. They don't even know what we're speaking about. They've never been allowed to just reach in their bag and tell us about their fantasy land. They're, they have fear of being judged, fear if it's wrong. I have a friend when he finally spoke to me and he told me a story about a Jeep Cherokee. He couldn't pronounce Cherokee, so he said Cherokee. And when he said it, he looked at me and I said, what? And I said, it's Cherokee, but keep going. And he said, oh, I thought you were going to make fun of me for that. Oh, so then what happened was your authentic voice has been suppressed forever because you couldn't even pronounce Cherokee. So in a public speaking manner, if there was anything that we had to ask you or anything, you would totally miss that in fear of stumbling over that word that you said Cherokee. And it was an important part of his story. But when he finally met somebody like me who says, what are you talking about? I'm from Greece. You're from Mexico. It's Cherokee. Keep going. Okay, Jeep Cherokee. Now keep going. That person, after that, started opening up to be an authentic voice to me. There's a fear to be authentic in this world. Oh, yes. Your, work, your workplace suppresses that, Henry. Most people's workplaces suppress that. I have a friend real quick, and I don't want to get into politics, but I want to share this. I have a friend who's a Democrat, but his employer is a stone-cold Republican. He's been working for them since he's 14, 15, 16 years old. He's like 46 now, right? I said, go on your Facebook and say, you're going to vote for Biden. He said, there's no way. I said, why? He said, I'd be fired in an instant. I said, wait a minute. 
you're allowed to. He said, no, V, I'd rather not. Okay, so stop right there. I'm not going to go any further, but what I'm saying here in this conversation is we have a great example of a suppression of authenticity. That is who he is. He wants to say it. He has a need to say it. But he's so freaking shy and so badgered from society that he'll never even step. The consequences are way too high. So um, real quick, just to go back to that. You get the courage to do all of this. Hey, look, look, I don't want to speak for you, Henry, but let me ask you, you got the courage to make this podcast, didn't you? Yes, I would say I'm a natural risk taker. Um, I like the feeling of taking a risk. I've always experienced risk as reward uh, in, in, in its outcome. When you follow risk intelligently and you're sensitive to the path of risk, like that you know when to not step on the roadside bomb and walk around it, but you are still walking path that's risky. That's yes. So yes, I was, I knew what I was doing in, in, in starting this, but I also feel empowered to chase, you know, the unimaginable. Now, now let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. Do you remember a time that you were, that you didn't have that courage, that you didn't know if you can uh, take life by the horns, if you didn't know if you can control conversation or lead conversation. Was there a time where you were always the backseat of a conversation or was there a time where, you know, you were in front of a couple others and you said, you know what, let me hear what they have to say first before I have to say, even though you wanted to, even though you needed to, did you remember a time where you've bitten your tongue? And let yeah. that continue and then left and said, man, I should have said that. Or man, I should have, you know? Yes. I, okay. I, so look, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so that for me folds into like social graces. And I, I can remember early on thinking about how conversations develop. You know, I thought about these awkward ideas as a teenager and my, my draw as a teenager, as a young man, emotionally was toward poetry and the thing about you know starting your life with interest in poetry is it tends to lead toward wanting to share it your writing and, and there's a an intimate group much like we're finding in the spaces there was growing up in poetry circles you know comfortable places to express yourself and uh real quick i can remember uh 1992 I was at SUNY Purchase uh, School of the Arts and I was taking the train down to New York City and frequenting a, a place called the Neo Rican Cafe where the great spoken word um, poet, slam poets of the early days of slam poetry before even uh, MTV brought the slam poetry to its screens, the, these poets were cutting their chops famously in this cafe called the New Rican. And if you wanted to read on stage at the New Rican Cafe, you had to go upstairs and sit with this old blind man and read to him. And he was only able to listen. He was one of the great listeners I've ever met. Um, but so that's where I kind of cut my teeth. And I just realized that, you know, the value of of engaging was was as important as the value of listening. And that's kind of what that blind man taught me. Um, and that in your listening, you will also 
more likely hear, find, and be able to follow out through to executing your own voice. So I got lucky. I did. I feel lucky that I met certain people young uh, that empowered me. And I don't know that, that I feel like it's a natural part of the process that you need to find a, a, an empowerment source. I, I, I think that's part of, of the human experience. It's, it's not completely normal for everyone at all times to feel empowered, although I think that's a, a noble goal. I think that it's important that there are systems in place and people with awareness that get involved like yourself who understand that empowerment is, is, is something that can be gifted. And if you understand that, then you can, you know, your tutelage is so valuable and it doesn't take much to empower people, but there is a key and there is a lock. And those two things do need to come together for most people. And so I, I see that as what you're doing. And I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that there was a lot in there that we could, that we could riff off of. So when, when we're speaking, it's like, you know, uh, you know, John probably is going to have to pull the timer out here pretty soon because I know this one might go for two or three hours, but I mean, you're right, right there in a sense of saying, you know, first of all, amazing that story about going up there. I, I just had to download that. That's what took me a while to come back when I said, yeah, because the fact that you've, you know, I'm a type of person that I'm always going to download a growth hack. And the fact that you told me a blind man was sitting upstairs who has to rely on his ears constantly to hear what it is you're saying, to rely on that substance or that authenticity of that poetry to make sure that you can go read that spoken word or whatever it is. That's a growth hack in itself of saying that if you can't please this man, um, you're not going to be able to really get this far. That is a, a great tool a great and a, no offense to anybody who's who's blind but i think it's a great tool to say you know you have to make this these people feel good because all they've had is their ears right and they can't judge you with the looks the likes or whatever so they're basically just going off of your poetry right and if mm -hmm. it's good enough for them, then it's going to be good enough for for everybody else. So first of all, I, I I am floored by that into learning that because now that's downloaded in my 36 year old mind to always remember that because I think that can go past for musicians, piano. I think you can learn a lot from playing to a blind man than you can more uh, anybody who's aware of all the senses, because I think that their critiqueness can come back by just not being able to judge you off their ears so first of all that's amazing to know second the poetry part i want to touch into because for me i found my voice by always standing up for others but not always standing up for others performing because i was able to do spoken word or rap good or freestyle good and i understood that the power of my wording or the punchlines or the metaphors or whatever it is I was using and, and how it would capture crowds and move people and how people would beg me to do it on their voicemails or do it for their mom or can you do it for my birthday and I, I knew that the power of conversation was so and then you know you have seminars you have preachers you have you know all these uh uh, uh influencer motivational speakers and master classes 20,000 so i knew the power of conversation is always going to be more influential than anything even great leaders are great at their words right but still people always think like 
oh, you have to be a good speaker. No, you don't. You just have to be super authentic so that you can continue, like you named the last podcast, Riffing with Van, so that you can riff forever and it never becomes a staged riff. If you start staging your speeches because you're speaking about things or toiling in the things that you have no idea about, the conversation and the authenticity and that substance meter that I'm talking about. Because for me, substance is a meter. It's a meter from zero to a hundred of whatever it is we're going in, you know, like fast and furious, the substance of car driving and fast and and that substance was there, right? If I'm listening to rap music and it's hardcore rap music and it's oh, it's got me going through all my feelings the substance is there if it's a rock song and i'm ready to go pop open a bottle and you know i'm out there yeah that's that substance we're talking about if there's a movie that makes you cry it's a substance thing it's a meter from a zero to a 100 the substance becomes 100 in the meter so when somebody says was that a great thriller you say it was a fucking jam-packed thriller it was an amazing movie the substance on that movie the meter of that what i'm speaking about would be at 100 so if we're talking about speaking we're talking about the power and the impact of what it is you're bringing to the table the substance of this podcast should be at close to something like a hundred because what it is we're sharing and the tools we're using and the knowledge and the wisdom that one can take and apply to themselves by saying you know what it's not anything else it's a reaching inside of you and saying you know i know you don't want to talk about uh what is it that i don't like to talk about that everybody talks about that damn dragon ball z that Goku, Dragon Ball Z madness. Look, I'm 36. I missed that slightly. There's other people, 32, 28. They're still right there in that Dragon Ball Z. They know everything about Goku and all of that. That substance to that conversation about Dragon Ball Z is zero for me. It's zero for me. That doesn't mean that you can't talk to somebody else. And if we're talking Dragon Ball Z substance, that you can have 100 based off somebody. That's what I'm talking about. And for me, I just don't get into Dragon Ball Z conversations because I know I will have maybe a 0. 0.00000 in terms of substance to it versus somebody who is a Dragon Ball Z master who's going to give you 100. So for me, it's about knowing what it is you're talking about before you talk about it and the experience mm. behind it. And also, no filtering, no filtering. Uh, again, I hate to get political and I'm not a political side, but when you start talking about the Donald J Trump, for me, it's just what I can't say or can't take away from him, whether you like him or not, is that no filterness was something that nobody was bringing. And I hope we get more people. I, I, I would wish and hope that more people come. I don't know if it was good or if it was bad. I don't know, but I'm saying I, I don't want the regular bs talk because i know it's not substance i want that real stuff you know i want that real like you know hey it's problems there's things going on we can't figure it out but we got people on deck doing it you know for me doing that besides saying hi welcome this and that have a great seat sit down you know like even in planes they tell you like they don't tell you the plane's going down or anything. You know, the oxygen mask comes down like, no, 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 no. You got to be no filter with me. Hey, look, we lost two engines on the side. We're going down. Prepare. Right. And then it's like, OK, this conversation is real. The substance in here is 100. OK, let's take action. But if that person comes and starts lollygagging around, you know, the mask is coming down. You know, enjoy the ride, you know, and then boom, we hit. That's what I'm talking about. And I think people 
will appreciate more of those people if they can understand that this that even though if we disagree that it's not about me not liking you it's not about me uh, uh, uh trying to hold you down it's about the substance into the matter we're speaking could be greater i don't care mm. if it's an artist i don't care if it's a movie i don't care if it's a song but but henry you have people who try to hide behind that and um, package substance up for it not to be substance. Does that make sense? They try to act like it is. Let me unpack a little bit this word substance. It's important. So in the context of art, let's just use art in the general sense. Mm -hmm. The idea of substance, just like let's look at it metaphorically. Substance means that there is something. Let's say we look at the, the viewer or the listener as somebody who is thirsty for something unique, something novel or something new, uh, which those three are different in their own right. But let's just say that that means that they come to the experience thirsty and you as the artist or performer giver of potential substance has a glass. If you're looking to hand an empty glass to somebody who's thirsty, they're not necessarily going to get excited and they're going to move on. And so substance is something, not nothing. It's, it means that there's something there that is able to be grasped that was desired. And if we go back to new or novel or unique, right? Meaning going back to this idea of detaching from your visual library or your audio library, detaching from your influences doesn't mean that you you abandon those influences. It means that part of the process of finding or discovering your voice um, or developing your voice is allowing um, what you what you have referred to over and over and over as your authentic self, right? Allowing the you within you to participate in the them within them in light of your influences. And out of that will come substance. And that means that you can hand somebody a glass full of water who's thirsty and they stand before your art to drink it. And and so um, in saying all that, substance is born in the moment that your voice becomes that glass full of water, that your voice becomes something unique, new, uh, or novel that is capable, capable of quenching the thirst of somebody who's looking for unique, new, or novel. And that's everybody who comes to art. And as a collector, as a viewer, as an artist looking to learn, they're not looking to learn from what they already know. They're looking to learn from what they don't uh, see anywhere else. So I, I also think that in this whole complex subject of substance, um, there has to be a path to understanding how do we get at substance. And I think that path, because we brought up risk before, we were talking about risk taking. I do think that risk taking, which means getting outside your comfort zone, and it's really comfortable to stay in that zone surrounded by the things that you know and love, and that is your influences, right? To get outside that comfort zone is a process of taking risks, meaning that when you are no longer held up by your influences, you're holding yourself up. And for a lot of people, maybe for everybody at some point in your life, 
holding yourself up without any help is the scariest thing that we can ever do. Like, it's sort of like the process of becoming an adult from being a child who's tended to by your parents. That is that same process that's an artist who's being tended to by their influences. It's easy for us as artists to say, God, I love this work when it's very similar to the work that you love. It's harder to say, God, I love this work and it's my work and it doesn't look like anything else because in that moment, you're entering the territory of the unknown. And again, when we are surrounded by what we don't know, we are at our most vulnerable. So the whole process of becoming uh, authentic is really a process of becoming vulnerable. And, and, and that's why, you know, great artists are oftentimes victims of that vulnerability over the course of their lifetime. The greatest risk takers oftentimes end, you know, tragic, in tragic death or uh, madness. And, and I, I do think that as much as that is, you know, the, the stuff of legend and lore, it's also, I think, it's also psychologically relevant topic because we're talking about exploring vulnerability. And so I just want to add this idea of being vulnerable to the whole process of becoming substantive, becoming authentic, and in finding it or discovering or um, developing your voice. That taking risks is important, but not being um, destructive, self-destructive in the process of taking those risks, meaning you young artist will need to become more vulnerable. You young artists will need to take risks. But for me to you, the only wisdom I can dispel is it's unwise to take risks with abandon without concern for the consequences. So take educated uh, risks, take informed risks, be present in the process. Um, understand that, you know, you need to be vulnerable, but you don't need to be reckless. Risk-taking doesn't imply recklessness inherently. All of that is important. And the last thing I want to point out with regards to your comments on substance, <clears throat> as you develop as an artist, you know, artists tend to be made up of component parts because the fact that they grow out of influences. When you grow out of influences, you, you're exploring what you like. You're looking down this avenue and, and maybe you like the color palette of Kandinsky and maybe you like the line work, you know, of Chagall or maybe you like, you know, the, the flattened planar space of Picasso or Matisse. And all those things are, you know, unique to those artists and their signature to those artists. And somehow you need to pull all that into your pot and, you, and that's your life drive and you do it. But at some point you need to integrate all those different threads and directions. And, and that integration is like the final step of becoming authentic, right? It's that final step of understanding that this that you loved here and this that you loved there, right, can be yours through the process of integration. So these are really like cognizant steps. And, 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 and I just want to dispel this notion that great art is a mystery in the making like it isn't made out of mystery isn't made out of myth it is a it is a construct there's a constructivism 
at the heart of the building of an art, okay? And that that constructivism is in, intelligent by design. So just don't, don't give yourself over to this, the, the myth that the creator needs to be a genius. Genius, you know, according to Einstein, um, is making the complex simple. And I think making the complex simple is a process of integrating the complexity of what influenced you into the simple qualities of your unique voice. So I will, I will hand it over to you after that. I just wanted to talk and unpack a little bit what you said about substance, because I think that's really important. Yeah, and I mean that, that glass being coming to somebody or a situation or scenario, you know, dying of thirst and needing a glass of water to wet your whistle in a sense, like I said in my last spaces, is the exact key ingredient to substance. But the person filling up the glass is somebody who has the experience to fulfill what it is you're looking for. Uh, let's be honest, that's why people get lawyers in certain cases, because they're coming thirsty with an empty glass, trying to get it full of answers to problems, solutions to their madness, right? And you can only fill up that glass, even grandparents and parents usually are the ones that are filling up those glasses for you when you're coming from, you know, that transition you said of being a teen to an adult. And there's those nights you come home and, you know, your friends left you or you got broken up or you can't pay the bills and you come home on those nights and they fill that glass up again for you right and they're pouring it up right in front of you because like you said you're dying of thirst and what are these glasses that you keep drinking they're experiences that are given to you by people who have already done it that are poured back in your glass for you to drink and sometimes people can drink that till they're blue in the face and never learn that what they've been drinking and what they've been told has been substance their whole life. But if they never use that substance, then there's no, there, it doesn't matter how much substance there is to the equation, which comes back to the whole thing about being vulnerable and being reckless, right? You can be vulnerable, but if, if you're reckless and vulnerable, then you might die or you might not never make it. You might end up as an addict. You know, a lot of those people that are vulnerable, that are reckless, that are getting those glasses filled from dying of thirst end up learning later on that all those glasses were really full of a lot of substance and I think for me being 36 it took me a long time to figure out that those glasses I would come to for my parents or my mentors or other people in my life that my ego was able to pour out in a sense after I was done with them and then leave me back empty with that glass searching for the next person who's who's giving me their time through experience and coming to fill that back up for me, for me to drink and understand all over again. It's only when you start retaining that like a canteen where it actually starts to work for you. And then you can start to recycle that and pour other people's glasses. So for me, 
you know, the authenticity of finding out who I am first had to, again, be unlocked by people who have already experienced and passed those certain problems or those questions or that sense of being thirsty. What is it you're so thirsty for? That part, that water, that Coca-Cola, that Sprite, that coffee, that tea. And I'm saying that because there's tons of things you can fill that empty glass up with. The substance in it is a lot different from the information that people are sharing based off of their experiences. But the more and more you can retain those glasses and you can recycle that and give it to the next person, which you'll start to understand that the authenticity of yourself is found into the sorting of what fluids you've really been drinking if we've been going along with this analogy and it's the people that have discovered that and succeeded past that and have done there they've been there done that and they've got the t-shirt and they give it to you and a lot of people they come in forms of professors teachers again sometimes even policemen sometimes leaders of the community presidents uh noble peace prize winners whatever the case is and you know it's funny because you said like Einstein said, okay, Einstein was somebody who what was filling up somebody's glasses based off of hypotheses and educated guesses and curiosity and wondering. And he was able to fill your glass on philosophy. So if you were a philosopher that was looking for answers and your glass was empty, he could be a good guy that could possibly fill that up for you. Now, when you drink that, are you going to retain it in your canteen? Or are you going to let your ego pour it back out? Well, then we'll never get it. So for me, you know, being vulnerable enough to be reckless at first, just to play back on everything you said, to stop being reckless because my glass is being filled up by important teachers who have experienced the recklessness through the vulnerabilities, allow for me to see Vangeli Galekas today as the authentic self. Right. And so I think that here in this space, the more and more we meet those people that empower and empower is a great word, because at first empower doesn't really mean anything until you start empowering other individuals. And then you figure out empowering means a power punch to say, you know what, I'm going to give you what I got in one punch. And here it goes. Bam. And when we come out, you have a, a, a same understanding of, of what it is to play. You know, people say they know NFT. And then they come speak to me. And when they leave, they say, I never knew that about NFT. And now I know, okay, because you, that substance that I just gave you, that entire thing that I just explained to you, screen share presentation, we laughed, we joked, whatever, that substance that we brewed up, that I keep, that I poured in your glass and that you drank and you came out and said, man, I understand NFT better. Okay, well, look. If you don't retain that understanding of, of whatever we just poured in your glass for the, that hour, this podcast even, if you don't retain this information into your arts, into your journey, into your whatever it is you're going to, right, towards, and, and you continue first holding conversation with people who keep not having that damn fluid. That's another thing. Continuing to go to people with that empty glass who don't even have what it needs to pour into that glass. So you're still running around with that empty glass, but they keep packaging it up that you should be fixed. That's not the same thing. So as an artist, you go around spaces, you go around people, you go around support networks, you probe people, you DM people, you thread with people, you reply with people, and you give everybody a chance 
to fill that glass up for you, man. But the more and more you drink of it, the more and more you start to become like the people who exposed you to it. Because in the end of the day, when you say, V, what is substance to you? V, what is authenticity to you? Henry, it's whatever it was that that person unlocked for me because I wasn't like this my whole life. I had to be taught this by people who succeeded into what it was that I was searching for. Mm. Let me introduce a concept because I think this is something that I, I want to do this today with you because I, you're a great disseminator of, of information. The, so in 1998, okay, again, I, I always like to frame reference evolution within art as art flows back to culture, right? So it's important to me to think like this. In 1998, uh, there was a, uh, a, an art theorist, right? And a theorist, you know, this is, this is the guy who's on the farthest outer edge of the sort of stratosphere of art. Uh, you know, aesthetic theory is alien to 99.9% of the people in the world, but he wrote about it, uh, what he called re the relational aesthetics. And what he was referring to then, which was really prescient and really powerful, was that the next wave in art will be dialogical and by that means it means about the the development of the art the how art impacts culture is going to be built into the main primary function of developing a system that foments and delivers a constant state of being in dialogue in ways that we haven't been since you know the Socratic period, and that this movement will be community-based, it will be collaboration-based, that it will be collaborative. And this dialogical aesthetic projects are collaborations. All, all projects are collaborations. And if you think about the importance of the spaces or how the spaces are impacting what's happening now, We'll get to NFT, but think about the spaces. Let's start at the bottom rung of the ladder, okay? The spaces are a collective phenomenon, right? So everything that happens in the spaces, that's sort of like collective dissemination of information, right? That means that everybody, that large swaths of people are ex simultaneously experiencing the same dissemination of information every day at the same time. And then they will then take that information and it will grow outward from them exponentially across social media. And exponential growth rates in the technological age are why this is possible. So you have collaborations with participants of different nationalities, cultures, religions, classes, right? It's a tool and it's breaking down barriers. It's forming networks between people from all these different groups and their interaction and participation Again, it's a collective experience is at, the, is at the very basis of what's happening now, okay? So an artistic voice that's found, right, in the context of a collective becomes the conduit for that collective to become um, re reciprocal, meaning that a voice becomes voices and the voices become a choir. This is what um, the artist Joseph Buies, you should look up Joseph Buies because I think that Joseph Buies in 50 years is going to be viewed as Picasso is today 
for his theory of art and his theory of art uh, he called uh, uh, so it was called soci social plastique which just means social sculpture he wasn't referring to the building of a three-dimensional object he was referring to social interaction as the sculpture right again relational aesthetics dialogue okay so here we are uh, in the 21st century and you have the advent of techno technological uh, uh, tools like Photoshop, Illustrator, you know, in this whole suite of dApps and everything that has given birth to the digital art age. And that digital art age then finds a home in the internet, right? Web 2.0 now into Web 3.0. And you're seeing that the masses have access to even a generic level of of digital design. Now there's a platform where the masses can access what is a relational uh, collective experience of art that will flow forward into the future of culture, redefining history, re-emboldening the human experience to become more humanistic. And in all of that, okay, in all of that, we're standing here talking about authenticity of voice. And I would argue that the authenticity of voice is going to become uh, less dependent upon the individual and more dependent on the collective. And when you depend upon a collective community, when you depend upon community, you have the strength of community. When you depend upon a choir of voices, you have this sort of extravagant tapestry of sound that is extraordinary. And when there is a voice in the corner that lacks tenor, that voice in the corner lacking tenor will be lifted by the voice in the under corner that has an excessive tenor, right? So we're starting to see the, 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 the brilliant forecasting of what was to come in these theoretical ideas that were brought forward by Joseph Buys, the German, uh, uh, profound German thinker and artist uh, who believed in, he was kind of the intersection of the best parts of communism and the best parts of humanism. And, and he, he was scoffed at at the time, but I, I think he was so prescient. And I think we're seeing all of this unfold now. And the last thing I would say about this and why it matters to NFT, because Joseph Buies in the 1960s thought of this idea of collectivity, right? That every man was an artist and that art would become a social, um, uh, 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 currency, right? So th think of how prescient that is that in 1960, a man said that art would become a social currency. What is the NFT? A social currency, right? It is happening in social environments. It's happening through the will of a collective in a decentralized way, meaning it's humanistic, not corporate, not government. It is humanistic. So now everybody on earth, the homeless man can go to a library and sign into uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a free online uh, platform, you know, uh, create something, then go and sign up in that library on uh, a, a, free da a free website uh, for NFT, mint his NFT uh, you know, for 30 cents, you know, if you're not on the Ethereum network and even the homeless man can participate in this, not that that's happening yet, but my point is the possibilities are endless. They're collective 
And the idea of social currency is live in the NFT. And the idea that we, and we've talked about this in our last episode, that, that the joke is on them because now the masses are handing back and forth uh, with NFTs. They're handing back and forth a social currency for the masses, right? People are collecting these things for pennies that will be, that will be valuable to the, uh, the old guard generations, the apparatus of power, when they finally wake up and go, you know what, fuck these, you know, uh, plebeians, you know, uh, let's, let's, uh, you know, let them eat cake. Let's get in there and scoop it all up. Well, guess what? You're buying it from the masses now. And all of a sudden the transfer of wealth from the wealthy to the, to the, to the, the masses is happening through the NFT. So I just wanted to put this out there today. That, and I know this is a little bit complex. It's a little bit uh, heady, but I think you're seeing this. And, and this is not, this is, these are not my ideas. This is a, a lineage of thought that seems to be to have taken place in a prescient way that is pointing to exactly what's happening in, in the art of the 21st century and the art of the NFT, the space of the NFT, the platform of the NFT, the communities within the NFT, the stewards of the space like yourself, all of this is speaking to this idea of social currency. I mean, this, is, this isn't even something you need to riff off unless you want to. I just wanted to get it out there with you because you're one of those uh, you know, profound thinkers and speakers that will, I know will digest this. You will think about this and you will come back uh, to it at a future date, if not today. Yeah, you know, I mean, the spaces, what you're seeing with the spaces, I think, is what you're supposed to be seeing at galleries. But obviously, we can't travel to them fast enough because the tech is moving so fast. But I love that the metaverse is even allowing people to congregate like they would at a gallery. And so we do get the vocal breakdown. We do get the whole um, fellowship of arting and collectoring. And you get this thing that you usually only get at the galleries you're able to get it now in the metaverse and now you're you're able to get it constantly because we can run whenever we want however we want and as long as we want and so what you're seeing in the spaces i think is that you're seeing what's supposed to be happening in the metaverse in the future between artists and collectors but you're seeing it happen through twitter because not every platform has it down not everybody's using the same Versus uh, uh, softwares in the metaverses, not everybody's using the same products, not everybody's using the right, you know, there's not no universal play yet besides Twitter. So what you're seeing with the spaces and what you're seeing with the Twitter platform and these marketplaces, it doesn't mean that Instagram or Facebook or all these places or doesn't even mean that another platform can't make it happen. But what you're seeing is you're seeing exactly what you said that artists told us about. We're seeing a social collective rise around art. And like you said, the NFT is becoming the social currency to buy and purchase into that journey. And the spaces is allowing you to see that the fellowship of a couple of these minds can influence somebody else's decision in there, because you're always going to have, like you said, people that are outside of that joke who are just coming in while everybody else is still laughing using the inside joke. And so the outside person becomes a buyer of 
the inside joke and then they become of the joke with them. And then they understand that, look, this is what's happening. And so, you know, I like to use the NFT spaces and the NFT space itself like a church. A church has a preacher, a deacon has helpers, has elders, and they have a congregation of believers. And those believers actually, they actually keep the other believers at that church because they're the ones that are connecting afterwards. They're the ones that are eating together. They're the ones doing Bible studies together. They're the ones doing the fellowship outside of church so that when church happens again, they're all coming back bigger, badder, stronger, more understanding. It happens in those homes where Susie's talking to Stevie and Stevie's talking to Charlene and then they all three end up with the understanding showing back up to church to figure it out. And that's what's happening here in our Twitter spaces is you're having these these. Susie's and Tom's and Steve's carry on through DM and carry on through personal text, but then they come back and meet up to this final, you know, place of congregating with this, this NFT freaks or this art chick or this loopify or whatever these hubs are that are 20, 30,000 follower uh, accounts in NFT land. And so what they have an obligation to do is spew that knowledge and information and that pouring of that glass, right? So that through experience, you can drink it and find your own voice. And you have to be vulnerable enough and open enough to first even allow that, you know, and there's a lot of people in this space. And this is why I want to use this time to say it. If you're listening to me, there's a lot of people in this space that think they're entitled to something. They think they're, uh, 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 it's, it's a given, it's a must. I'm going to hold on to this because this is how it goes. And, and that's so far from the truth. Everybody starts with an empty glass in this space. The reason why is because NFT existed from nothing to something. So first of all, nobody can have a full glass right away of NFT. The only people who can pour out of their canteen in NFT land are people with experience who have done it. So first of all, in our space, there's a lot of people who claim to know knowledge and wisdom and have all this stuff. And in all actual reality, you keep pouring my empty glass with invisible fluid. Because you have no experience in it because NFT was just born. The only people who have experience here are people who have had more than 50K in sales, who have been here more than um, 120 days, who have uh, you know, at least a couple of OGs, people. I mean, you have a lineage, that lineage you were talking about. You have that behind you in terms of drinking out of their canteen for so long before you ever even think about pouring anybody else's glass right and so for here in this space if you understand that that's what we're doing when you see duo tustin uh devin the dude you see these people rising altered motion laura tory these are people who have gotten their glasses filled from canteens and are now taking their canteen and pouring other glasses. And that's what all you're seeing. And that's why people from the outside say it's a pyramid scheme because they keep coming in and catching the tail end of what we're doing, coming up with their own ideas. And then they go write a news story about it being a pyramid scheme, multi-level mass marketing. They have no idea that all you are seeing are glass pours and canteen holders. <laughs> you know, it's funny, uh, the, the, the idea of a pyramid scheme because of, of these spaces. Listen, there isn't a single uh, important 
uh, development in art history that did not happen in small group sittings around a table with beers and wine. Um, I, 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 could, I won't, but I could go over a list a mile long of cafes in Paris and Berlin and bars in New York and, you know, the, the art centers throughout history where, um, you know, the, the, the young, uh, brilliant minds chatted and, and they sat around a table and it was through those conversations that manifestos were written, that movements were born, that, uh, you know, great tectonic shifts, paradigm shifts in what's possible happened because of uh, spaces. And, 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 and so the spaces on Twitter, simply put, are pubs and cafes where people in, on different continents, in different countries, in different states, in different cities, in different townships, in different homes can meet without leaving their house because it's the only way that, that re the relational aesthetic in this journey that I mentioned before, that's why it's possible. Because now we're sitting at the pub and we're speaking our mind and we're sharing our, our ideas, only we don't have to all be in New York City or Berlin or Paris. We can be on our bed as I'm sitting right now, talking to another one of the great minds in the space. And it's happening from your breakfast table over a cup of coffee that you haven't filled yet because you, you could jump out of bed to have this conversation because it's that important. And that is not a pyramid scheme. That is the organic process of a paradigm shifting movement happening before our very eyes. And everybody just needs to wake it up and realize it. That is what this is. And, you know, and now that you said that I'm definitely, cause my gears are moving. I'm definitely pretty soon. I don't know when, but I'm definitely going to be hosting a full fledged, a wine, beer, drinking, happy hour on spaces. You must show a tweet of your wine or whatever. And I think that that you just hit it on the spot. I think we need to call for a time. And that's, you know, I was, I've been meaning to do it a private club, but it's like, there's this, there's this, like you just said, you know, when in my business in devours, the first thing they always used to ask me, of course, before I was married is, Let's go out to a club. Let's go out to a nightclub. Let's go out to a strip club. Let's go out, you know, this number one business meetup. Let's go have some drinks. Let's go do that. And for a long time, you know, I'm in Dallas. So there's people from the West Coast who would fly out. We would be doing startups. We would have great ideas. And I would miss out on the investments because they would want me to go to these places that I just couldn't go because I was married. And I, and I would say, you know what? I, I appreciate the invite, guys but I can't make that tonight. Right. And they wouldn't invest in me. And I knew they wouldn't invest in me because we couldn't take it that extra step further. And they'd always tell me, we need to know who you are. We need to know. And I'm like, well, we can do this without going there. Why is it you have to go there? You know what I mean? I don't want to go there. I just want to go to, and, and it would always be a conflict of interest. And these people would want to take me, let's go out of town here and let's go out of town there. And it was all under the banner of what you were saying, that fellowship, that everybody had to go in person to, that everybody had to make sure they attended. Because like you said, you remember that cliche saying, it's who you know, right? It's who you know. 
Well, how do you ever get to the who? It's who you know if you never go to California, if you never go to San Francisco, Paris, Hong Kong, you never go to these lavish trips, these crazy places, these people you party with them and you do that to meet Steve, the big bag holder who's a partier who loves to do all these outlandish things, right? Cheat on his wife and do all. And I'm, I'm just, I couldn't do those things. So I missed out on a lot of opportunity. With the birth of spaces and the internet and the more evolving of Zoom and Skype and FaceTime, I can't tell you how I was saved in Dallas from still being able to be a tech guy. Because look, there's not a lot of tech booming here. It's oil and gas and, and brick and mortar here, right? There is now starting to because of Austin, but in the beginning, it's nothing like uh, Los Angeles or San Francisco. And you know, you start going a little bit more rural. If I lived in Tennessee, there would never be, I mean, if I lived in Alabama, there's like one ad for web development a day in Craigslist. I would be dead. I'd be something else. So what I'm saying is opportunity itself was taken away from me based off a of geographic location. And I'm not the only one. So when you open up Craigslist or you open up spaces, clubhouse, discords, Skypes, Zooms, society kept telling everybody, oh, and, and, and I don't know if you know, but everybody be like, I want somebody local. I want somebody local because society kept telling you face to face, face to face. That's why that's why I look at something like uh, hopefully you can hear me. I had a call interrupt me. Um, that's why things like COVID. They're very terrible, very terrible. They're nothing. They're never going to be considered a blessing. But in a sense, dude, it allowed people to understand that remote is okay. FaceTiming and Zooming is okay. Spaces and clubhouse is okay. And I think it, it brought that expectancy line down, right? And now it opens up to say, you know, I don't even think I'd ever be on a podcast with you and be able to meet you if it wasn't for some of these circumstances that allowed us to even say, oh, I'm Vangeli, that's John, and that's Henry. And here we are, like you said, you're in your bed, I'm rolling out of my bed, I'm sitting on the floor, and I'm ready to get my cup of coffee. And it's like, I'd never have this chance with you if some of these things never lined up the way they do. And so now the new world, the new generation, you know, like we were speaking about earlier, when I was in school, I didn't have social media. I, there's probably, I, I don't know what kind of famous entity I would be if I had social media when I was in school, because there's no way I would have slept on the followership and the count, the viewership and what it does for people. But that's okay that I'm 36 and my kids get to use social media. But look, guess what? spaces and nft and those things are not going to escape me because i'm still allowed to play in those things but you know real quick just to touch on one thing the nfts kids have been doing nfts long before adults kids have been begging parents for xbox live cards microsoft points they've been buying swords online i've heard of kids buying coins on apps like nfts have been nft for a kid but now the art is allowing adults to indulge and it's so funny because now we're looking to see where we can scrape and take from to get a little bit more ether points to go buy that sword but it's not really a sword it happens to be henry's piece or it happens to be you know um that other piece you bought the other day from dark artist and um the other week from dark art so for me, man, I, I'm just, I'm excited that I was able to understand it. I'm excited that I'm able to break it back down. I'm excited to hold conversations with like-minded people. And for me, it's what I keep tweeting. 
I, I, I'll tell you right now. It's uh, 10.16. I have, I'm excited to know what 10.30, 10.45, 11.15, and even 2 p.m. hold for me. I have no idea because the space is just rushing. My momentum is growing. I'm getting just pulled from everywhere, and I'm just sitting here like none of this could be possible without all this great stuff. So for me, man, real quick, it's not about bids. It's not about art. It's not about baskets and Picassos and Leonardo da Vinci's and people's names. I don't even fucking know because I never knew art. It's about the whole entire opportunity around humans, prosperity, opportunity, work, art, bidding, ether, technology, Web3. It's a whole freaking avalanche of opportunity this space provides i haven't even jumped into the collectible projects that i'm working on which is just another freaking opportunity there's so many opportunities in this space with technology henry that um there's not enough time and i'm so serious when i say it there is not enough time in the day to to take it all in man Mm -hmm. clocking along now man that, that is a, a great book I, I love. And it, it taught me that we as people, as humans, as human animals, we, send us, we tend to think about time in, in, the, in the context of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and you know some of us, if we're lucky, years. And yet, ask the rock about time. You know, um, I, I also just wanted to in closing here, because I want to let John move on with his uh, his his night here. I, I think the idea of community, I'm going to stress this one more time, is since this is an art community right now, you know, or it is an investor oriented, but art sensitive community led by artists and their ambitions, they are coming to the spaces for community. And you know what? It's, it's an interesting, if not macabre, a little bit macabre thought. Picasso, it is said, is responsible for killing off more emerging artists in the last hundred years than any other artist. And by that, I mean Arshal Gorky, Jackson Pollock, uh, Klein, Rothko, artists of enormous merit and contribution who at the end of their days were known to have succumbed to what they called the Picasso paradigm, that his contribution to all things aesthetic, all things philosophical, scientific, were so great, far-reaching, profound, impactful, and endlessly influential that people could not get out from underneath the shadow because they were lone wolves. They they, they fought with the demons of their vulnerabilities and lost the battle because they fought it alone. And there's that is the difference today. I want to encourage everybody out there to embrace this notion of community like you've never embraced anything before because we're, at the, we're in day one, day one on, a, on a, a journey that will last years and years and years and years, maybe a thousand years will come out of today. Who knows? And then my and final- real quick. Go ahead. 
Oh, real quick. If we can put a lot of those quotes and a lot of those references in the description of this podcast, because I'll be honest with you, I'd like to look up that book. I'd like to look up some of those quotes. I think that's very inform in informal for people to um, have in the description of this podcast. Because I mean, hey, look, I'd love to listen to this again. And I'd love to research some of those things that book that you mentioned, a couple of those artists that you mentioned, that German artist you mentioned. I mean, I think those are good little uh, footnotes that we need if we could just get a reference in the description of our video to um, I mean the podcast so that we can research some of those things because I mean that that's part of that filling up that glass for us right is that I need to be able to learn some of this stuff so that when I'm back there evangelizing my game I can use some of this stuff you know Amen. that's great to hear it's great to hear I'll probably have to listen to this two or three times to figure everything out that uh took place but yeah i'll definitely put some stuff in the show notes and uh put some images on the video and youtube i think it'll be a good show yeah man i think we had a great segment again man i don't know how we keep firing these off but man it's just like it's almost like you need to grab this encyclopedia of henry john and vengeli and just let us take you down this life right because i feel like and i'm not just tooting our own horns here but it's like the information that we're covering Yes, there's motivational podcasts out there. Yes, there are podcasts out there that, you know, riff off of accomplishments and accolades and, and what it is you're going after. But there's not a lot that really just nip it in the butt. And I want to say one thing real quick that Henry just said about lone wolfing. Um, in that startup talk of investment um, journey in 13 years, I never once really got a full-fledged investment because I lone wolfed by myself for all those years. So a lot of my accomplishments were solo accomplishments. And in that world, they want team accomplishments. So my vulnerability for a long time was allowing people to even run with me in a pack because I never knew anything about it. I was always just that lone wolf who had a fight and tear off everything for themselves and the scraps that we had available would give to the developers or would give to, you know, my freelancers, but to work as a community, as a pack, to let people run with you, to let people come in and, 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 and share with you, or like, you know, this is, I've been invited to a lot of podcasts. I've turned a lot of them down because of my lone wolf mind of thinking like, you're not going to provide enough substance for me. So you just want me on your podcast to say you have NFT freaks. You're like, you know, the second guy besides Chris powers that I feel like can add that to where it is worth it for me to have a podcast with you. It is worth it for me to jump out of bed and have a conversation with you because even though, because I'm always the one that I'm finding out is pulling out that canteen to pour for people, and I'm very rarely allowed to pull my own glass out. And in this podcast with you, Henry and John, I feel like I'm able to get my glass poured. So I love that, and I appreciate that. And my last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, to all you artists out there who are sitting now for a month or two months waiting for your first bid, uh, let think of Van Gogh or Van Gogh, depending on, uh, you know, what, how old you are when you grew up. Van Gogh said, beautiful things require effort, disappointment, and most importantly, perseverance. Note, Van Gogh died having sold one painting, and that was to his brother, Theo. And if there's one book I could recommend to every emerging artist on this planet, it is Letters to Theo which is a collection of the intimate letters of Van Gogh's life, journey, struggle, 
disappointment, process development, and discovery of his authentic voice that became Starry Nights, you know, that became uh, the artist that everybody knows and loves, the artist whose poster Starry Nights is this, to, at this point in time, the, the highest selling, highest grossing uh, poster replication of, a, of an artistic work in human history. Again, he sold one painting. It was to his brother and he died in his thirties in a mental asylum and he had nobody. We have so much at our fingertips now. We have so much room. And, in the and just to say that that one sale etched his name uh, for thousands and thousands of more years to come, right? To think mm -hmm. that your story, when we say share your story and people share their story every day, they share the story of the, and then you have Van Gogh who sold one with this letter to Theo, which becomes his story that he's sharing all under the banner of this one starry night that you're talking about and the impact that it's had in this world off of one with the story and the authenticity. And look how far it's went. That's insane. It is insane. Thank you again, Van. I look forward to chapter three. Uh, this was far exceeding my expectations as I expected. <laughs> always, man, always. And, 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 and it's a pleasure to be here. And, and with that, I'll just, I'll just be waiting for John. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, Van. See you next Thanks, time. John. No problem, guys. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.